Well, good morning. We're in part number three of a four-week series. I am glad that you're here this morning as we get to celebrate Father's Day together. I know for me, I fear small groups of people. I, I just do. I don't know if it's that I feel too vulnerable. I guess maybe I just kind of feel out there. I'm not sure what to do in a small group. I'm not sure what to say when I'm in a small group. And dads, for most of you, you have a small group of friends that you hang out with, um, that you like to be around. Um, you like to hang out with them. You like to be with them. But when it comes to church, often you run from small groups, from small groups of people. Uh, that's true for most of us, I guess, maybe. We fear something about being in a small group of people, people that we're just now getting to know. With our friends, our closest friends, our best friends, our small group of friends outside of the church, we're comfortable because they know us, um, they know about our families, they're, we know them so well that they're kind of like part of our family. They have permission to call us if things go wrong. They can call us any time of the day, any, any day of the week, and we'll do our best to answer, right? They know us more than anyone else knows us. That's, that's comfortable. Often women can be part of more than one small group of people as they are just kind of living their life. They have small groups of friends here, another small group over here. But sometimes, men, we're lucky if we just find one small group of people that we are comfortable with. There's something about many men, and some ladies too, about being too close to people in little groups Something about that has a tendency to scare us or maybe repel us from that. Um, it, it just can make us feel too vulnerable, too out in the open, too open to criticism. And we sometimes think, if I get too close to somebody, they're going to really, really know things about me and they may not like me. And because of that, sometimes we just say, well, I'd rather just not deal with anyone than to have to face the possibility of rejection. And after all, most of us, we reject ourselves enough. We don't need somebody else to do it too. But you know, interestingly enough, Jesus, even Jesus had a small group that he was with a lot. And now we're talking about Jesus, not maybe the image that comes to your mind. Jesus was a rough, calloused, outdoor, living, camping, fishing, hiking man, swinging a hammer kind of man. He knew how to lay a foundation. He knew how to plumb a wall. He knew how to make and lay bricks. He was a stonemason. He was physically, physically strong. He knew how to quarry stone. He knew how to cut stone and lay stone. Jesus was a builder for 30 years. That was his profession, and that's what he grew up around. And Jesus worked with stone much more than he worked with wood. We imagine carpentry and wood. Back then, a builder mostly worked with stone. He was very strong. Even Jesus, the strong man, had a small group. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a very tiny slice of his small group life, just to give you an idea of what it was like. And we're going to be looking at just a few days of this small group life, probably about a half of a week. 
Now, before we get to that point, let me give you the background, because Jesus had just sent his small group out on a trip. He sent them away with a very specific responsibility. So he calls them together and he says, listen, I'm going to give you authority to love and serve the people around you. I'm going to give you the power you need to do that. And I'm going to send you out to all these villages and all these towns that are surrounding us. And I'm going to ask you to go there and love these people, serve these people. He said, don't take anything with you. I'm just going to send you out with just the clothes you have on your back. Now just go and trust God. Go love these people. Go serve these people. And that's what they did. For some period of time, we don't know how long, they traveled around and they just simply did what Jesus said. They loved the people around them. They served the people around them from town to town, city to city, village to village. And now we get this snapshot of Jesus with his small group and some things that happen in his small group. And he gives us uh, these pictures kind of throughout this that we're going to stop and we're going to take a look at. Um, we find this that we're going to be in, in the Gospels of, of Luke. That's where we're going to be today. Um, and this probably took place in about somewhere around four days. So this group, his small group, returns from their assignment and so the small group is all, because they went out kind of in, in, you know, by themselves with small groups of people, couples together. They went out in little bitty tiny groups. So now the small group is all back together. And this is where we pick up with our story, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. And then he slipped away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida. Now, this was his small group, and they came back together, they gathered together, they were sharing their stories, they were like, oh, Jesus, you won't believe this. We knocked on the door, and guess who came to the door? Yeah, guess what they said? Oh, you'll never believe what happened here. And so they're telling their stories, they're sharing their stories, and you know, we're going to learn through this experience some of the characteristics that Jesus had in his small group and some of the very characteristics that I believe Jesus wants to create in a small group situation here within Stuttgart Harvest Church. Now, we've been looking at our 911, our 911 verses um, through this series, and today we hit this one, the very next verse, Luke 911. It says this. But the crowds learned about it. Now, remember, Jesus had slipped off with his, with his small group. He had slipped off, and the crowd found out what was happening. They learned about this, and it says, and followed him. And so Jesus, I mean, he stands up, and he says, get, won't you just get out of here? Can you not understand? A man needs a break. Leave me alone already. Get out of here. I need some peace. I need some quiet. I'm tired of dealing with people. No, that's, that's not what he said. The Bible says he welcomed them. No matter how tired he was or frustrated he was or how drained he was, they showed up and the Bible says he welcomed them. You know, Jesus was crazy enough to get up close and personal with people. Even if he wanted to shut the door out and, 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 and recharge, 
Even if he wanted to shut the world away because he was tired of dealing with people and problems, he didn't. The Bible says he welcomed them. He got up close and personal. And then it goes on. The next phrase says this. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's his kingdom, by the way. Jesus was crazy enough as he got up close and personal, not just to have random conversations about the weather, which was also his weather, by the way, as creator. No. Jesus was crazy enough as he got up close and personal with people, he told them part of his story. He told them what was most important to him, and he told them why. It was important. And in this case, he's telling them about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So it says he, he welcomed them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And then Luke goes on and says, and he healed those who needed healing. Jesus was crazy enough to meet some of those needs around him while he was around people. Jesus was crazy enough to be involved in the lives around him. You know, there's something in that for us. There's something in that to encourage us, to challenge us. And for us, we are challenged to step out of our comfort zones. So if we're stepping out of our comfort zone, that means we're stepping into discomfort. And for you and me, it is eventually being in that discomfort that creates change in our lives. Discomfort in relationships eventually, eventually leads to comfort in friendships. But there's a lot of discomfort to start. For us, at Stuttgart Harvest Church, to be a church that is crazy enough to get up close and personal with people, even if we want to shut the door on the world around us because we're tired of dealing with people. We're crazy enough to get up close and personal, and we are learning to be crazy enough to tell them part of our story about how Jesus is making a difference in our lives. Still, Jesus, he keeps his small group up close and personal with all the people that are around them. That's what's happening right now in this story. And slowly, more and more people join this crowd of people. So it's Jesus, a small group, and now this crowd of people are joining. Slowly the crowd grows, and Jesus and a small group are now surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. He's in a small group, and Jesus, someone in his small group comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, listen, we need to send these people away so they can go eat. And Jesus is like, no way. You feed them. And they're like, what? That's thousands and thousands of people. We don't have any food here. Jesus, remember, we're traveling. He says, you take care of it. 
And in this scenario, they kind of freak out. His small group freaks out, and Jesus kind of takes the lead and tells them what to do and shows them how to do it. And miraculously, because Jesus does it, they feed thousands and thousands of people. There's probably between 10 and 15,000 people gathered there at this moment. And Jesus and his small group, they feed them all miraculously. Jesus makes that happen. And Jesus is teaching his small group, keep loving people around you. Keep serving the people that God places around you. Now, some time passes. The crowds dissipate. They leave. They wander away. And now Jesus is with his small group, just him and the small group again. And our conversation here continues in verse 18, Luke 9, 18. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Now, it's only him and it's his disciples. Only his disciples were with him. See, Jesus is not afraid to slip away and pray together with his small group. He's not afraid to do it. So he gets with his small group, he has a prayer, and then after he prays with his small group, the Bible says just him and the small group, it says then, and he asks them, who, tell me, who do the people say that I am? And in the small group, Jesus is not afraid to ask them questions, even tough questions. And he asks them, who, listen guys, who do the people say that I am? Verse 19. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others, will they say you're one of the other ancient prophets who's risen from the dead. And that's, those were the rumors that were going around. And then he asked them, verse 20, he says, then he asked them, who do you say I am? He said, I, I, I'm not really interested right now in talking about everyone. I'm not interested right now in what is the word on the street. I'm not interested right now in what is my reputation out there. He said, I'm talking right now in this very moment in this small group. I'm talking to you, you right here. What do you believe? Who do you say that I am? The Bible says, Luke records it here, says, Peter replied, well, you're the Messiah sent from God. You see, now this small group that Jesus is hanging out with, they are crazy enough to take a chance and declare to the other people in the small group who Jesus is to them. In this case, Peter, who Jesus is to him. And for us, for you and me, we have a chance. If we choose to take the challenge of getting into and staying in a small group, we have the chance in that group to declare who Jesus is to us. And that is an ever-growing, ever-changing journey. It's a growth of intimacy slowly between you and Jesus because who he is to you today, guess what? 
It's going to be something deeper a year from now if you remain on this journey. A chance for us to continually declare who Jesus is to me, who he is to you while you're on this journey together. And you know, we need to verbalize that. We need to put words to that. We need to to say that to a small group of people. It gives us practice talking about who Jesus is to me and who he is to you. Practice being open. It gives us practice being honest and sincere. It gives us practice sharing what Jesus means to us. And you know what? It also gives us practice listening to the other people in the group. Practice asking questions. Practice answering questions. Because after all, who Jesus is to you it really matters. Now notice in this specific case with Jesus and his small group, at this specific time, this specific point in history, this specific moment in the journey Jesus is taking towards the cross, he tells his small group what we say in the small group stays in the small group. Listen to how he puts it here in verse 21. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Verse 22, the son of man, here's why. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. He's saying, listen guys, this is going to be public information soon, but not yet. This is just for us right now. That's what he said to them. And in verse 23, then he said to the crowd, so now they leave the small group, they're back with the crowd, and he says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. He's saying, many of you have followed me from town to town, place to place, countryside to countryside. You've been wanting miracles. You've been wanting to see me heal people. He said, that's what you've been wanting, but you're seeking the wrong thing. He said, yes, I've provided some miracles and some healings to some of the people in need. Those are signs of God's power as he brings his kingdom to this earth through me. But that is not where I'm headed with this ministry. That's not why I'm here. Jesus says, come on, this is your chance. This is your chance to take a step with me. Are you ready, he says? And for you and me in this scenario here, the small group of Jesus, he's speaking to them as well, crazy enough, crazy enough to take their next submissive small step with Jesus. And then Jesus said this. So first he said, you must turn from your selfish ways. And then he says, take up your cross daily 
and follow me. Now, I want you to understand, they didn't really understand this is where Jesus was headed, to the cross. And to hear these words come out of his mouth, how bizarre that must have sounded. He's saying the final road that you're going to travel with me is as you follow me to a criminal's cross. Not a cross of gold that's going to hang on a chain on your necklace. No, that's not what I'm talking about, he said. This is not a cross that's going to enhance the beauty of the person that puts it on, no. It's not a piece of art in a museum that's going to enhance the reputation of the artist. No, no, that's not what's going to happen here. It's not a massive cross that's on top of a cathedral or a church that marks off a holy place. No, that's not going to happen here. This cross, this cross I'm talking about is among the world's most cruel and horrific instruments of torture. Now you cannot wear this cross. You will bear this cross. And you will bear that cross step by step toward this government's place of capital punishment, and it will become for you the gas chamber, the electric chair, the lethal injection, all rolled into one. Jesus said, you must pick up your cross and carry it daily. Now, what does that mean for us today? Perhaps it means self Denial. Perhaps it means that in, in some moments that we actually stop looking in that moment for a miracle. Just perhaps. Perhaps it means that we stop centering our attention on the things that enhance us or please us the things we want, and maybe it says our focus solely and completely lands on Jesus and allow Him to create a daily, every single day, all day long relationship with you. It simply says, I'm going to find out what Jesus wants. I'm going to find out what he wants me to do every single day. And I'm going to do that. Maybe that's what it means. I think it also means that we should expect that we may not win popularity contests. We may not achieve the fame that we want or the fortune that we want or how we define success. That may not be the success we get. Jesus is saying, be ready, be prepared to suffer the rejection and the pain and the death that he suffered. And he says, if you follow me, 
that's the small group you've signed up for. A lifestyle that leads to that. Wow. And then he's saying it is only as you live that life that you learn, really learn who the Messiah is. He's saying it is that life, that journey, that path that walks through that narrow, narrow gate. Wow. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus to the death. Then you will find that he is the life. That was amazingly tough teaching. You see, what Jesus is offering here is such a paradox, something that is opposite to our instincts, because our instincts tell us, look out for me, look out for what I want, look through all of this, and, and life is a buffet, and you select what you want off of it, and you get a lot of what you want. But Jesus is offering something different, and it is so bizarre. Verse 24, listen to how it goes on. It gets worse. If you try to hang on to your life, he says, you'll lose it. In other words, our instinct is to close everyone around us off, to shut them out of our lives, and to protect ourselves, to live for ourselves, to please ourselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to lose yourself. Just that self part, that selfish part, that me and my way part. And then he says, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you do that opposite of what your instinct is, that opposite and give up and surrender and give it to him. Now verse 25. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? Jesus is saying, if, if you live your life every day for yourself, you're going to be possibly very successful, very popular. Maybe even you might achieve wealth and you might be admired and accomplished and looked up to and respected well above average. But in the end, if you have lived your life your way for yourself, he says you lose. Because the day is coming that we will account for our lives and we will pay our spiritual debts. And either at that moment, we will say, 
I'm responsible for those debts. They're mine. I'll pay for them. Or, or Jesus in that moment will step forward to the front of the line and he will say, yeah, those are Harley's debts. But he's allowed me to pay for them. I purchased his life. I, I purchased her life. I, I purchased them. That person, they, they belong to me. They surrendered their life to me. So I paid that debt. That account has been settled. That account has been paid in full by me. Verse 26, Jesus says this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, and I just have to say, you know what? The thing that keeps me out of a small group ultimately somehow has something to do with shame. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, he said, the son of man, that's Jesus. The son of man, he's speaking the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He, Jesus, I, He says, returns in His glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus is saying, if you really belong to me, you're not afraid to openly live for me to love others around you for me. You're not afraid to follow me. And following is not something that happens with our mouths. It's something that happens with our feet and with our hands and with our hearts. He said, you're not afraid. There is no shame in being made new. So what does all of this mean to us? My question for you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is for you? Who is Jesus in your life? It is very possible that someone here this morning may be ready for the very first time to say, Jesus, Jesus is my Savior. I've never said it before. Perhaps you're saying, I've never admitted it. I've never, I've never surrendered or submitted to Him. I've known about Him. I've known what He has done. I've known about the life He lived. I've known that He was God's Son. I've known that He went to the cross and He died, and three days later He rose again. But I have never submitted my life to Him and said, Jesus, this life is yours. It belongs to you. You bought it on the cross. I'm yours. And maybe this morning for the very first time you're ready to say that. Jesus, this life you've given me it now belongs to you. I give it back to you. 
some of you may be ready to say that for the first time. And let, let me tell you, you, you we're not going to ask you this morning to walk down one of these aisles. This morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. As Jesus asked his small group, I'm just simply asking you this morning, who is Jesus to you? Just perhaps, if you've never submitted, given, turned over, released ownership from you to him of your life, then maybe this morning is the day that you do that. Let me tell you how to do it. You simply admit to Jesus that you need him. Jesus, I've tried to live this life on my own, and I failed. If what I am saying right now is what your heart is saying, then in your heart you just simply say, Jesus, that's me too. Those words that Harley is saying, that's, I, I'm saying that too. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Jesus, I admit, I've tried to live this life my way, my decisions, what I thought was right, what I thought was best, and I failed. And in this moment recognizing, understanding that you, Jesus, died on the cross for me because I would never live my life pure enough to be able to earn my way into heaven. In fact, you said it is impossible for me to do that. So because of that, Jesus, when you died on the cross, you paid a price for sin and that was for me. And by paying a price, you purchased something. And Jesus, I'm saying that you purchased, you bought this life of mine. And I am admitting to you right now, this life now from this day forward belongs to you. You can have it. It is yours. I give it to you. And when he rose again three days later after he died, he proved by doing exactly what he said he would do, something only God could do. He, he proved it. And Jesus, I believe that this life is yours. If you're saying that for the very first time, really meaning that, if that's what your heart is saying and you've never really put it in those words and said, Jesus' life belongs to you, it's yours. I'm now becoming a Jesus follower, a Christ follower. I'm yours. You are the boss of me. On the back of your connection card, before you put it in the giving bucket, in just a few moments, in just, just a moment, before you do that, will you mark on the back of that card? There's a place for you to mark that. Will you mark that? Make sure I have good contact information, a text, number, some, some way for me to get a hold of you. Now, some of you this morning, you're, you're not ready yet for that step. You are thinking about that step. You are considering that step. And to you, to you, this is what I say. Just keep coming. Don't stop. Keep coming. We're not going to beat you up. We're, we're not going to drive you away. We're just simply going to keep opening God's word and just keep sharing with you. This is what God says. This is what God says. This is what God says. And we're going to keep loving you. Just keep coming. 
Keep investigating the claims of Christ. This is a safe place to do that. Don't give up. Keep coming and discover this Jesus as you go. Keep coming. Some of you this morning are ready to be part of a small group, a Stuttgart Harvest Church small group. And here's what I say to you. We, we may be adding more groups this fall. We may be adding one. It may just be one group. And that's still just a possibility. We don't know that we're going to add groups this fall. But we may be adding a group this fall. The groups that are meeting right now are becoming closed groups. They're going to meet together just those people for the next year. We may be adding another group. Now, here's the thing, though. If we do, then that's the group you need to be in if you're not in a group. We're going to ask you just to, to Facebook Donnie, get your name on a list, your information on a list. Facebook Donnie this week. Say, I am ready to be in a group. Or you can mark it on your connection card. Mark it on your connection card down in the comment section that you want to be in a small You're not in a small group yet? I want to be in a small group. And as we begin looking at the fall and figuring that out, we'll have your information. For all of us, because of this, because of how Jesus lived his life, we at Stuttgart Harvest Church are crazy enough to try to get up close and personal with people. We are crazy enough to declare who Jesus is to us individually. And we are crazy enough to take our next submissive step with Jesus. I hope you will stay on the journey with us as we are crazy enough to follow Jesus at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Let's pray. God, you told us that if we try to hang on to our lives, we will lose them. God, you told us to take up our cross daily and to follow you. You told us to, to put away selfishness and selfish thinking. Jesus, you said that you were going to have to suffer many terrible things, and you did. You said that you would be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and you were. You said you would be killed, but Jesus, you also said that on the third day, you would be raised from the dead, and you did. And Jesus, you asked your small group, and this morning we asked Stuttgart Harvest Church, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus, in this passage, we saw you welcome people, even though you might have needed to push them away. We saw you speak about what mattered to you the most. And you taught them about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, we saw you heal some of those needing healing. And Jesus, we want to learn how to love the people around us, how to meet some of those needs in their lives, how to heal their hurts and their hearts. 
as we truly, without shame, live our lives in relationships with you and the others around us as we journey this journey together. It is in your name, Jesus, your amazing, powerful name that we pray. Amen.